Hello, Sean. Hey, how's it going, Thomas? How's it going? Very um, well. Oh, boy. I am... I'm once again working on very, very little sleep. Not a problem. I'm I'm in the same I'm the same bag. Yeah. I came home from work at around, got home around four, and just uh, uh, luckily I didn't push the snooze button like the mm-hmm. prerequisite seventeen times. So I'm up and ready to go. You're listening to just one of the guys, where it wouldn't be a proper bar opening in the DCU without a knockdown drag out brawl. Started by Lobo. Gather round ye lads and lasses, set ye for a while, and hearken to me mournful tale about the Emerald Isle. Let's all raise our glasses high to friends and family gone, and lift our voices in another Irish drinking song. Hello and welcome to another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. This is an internet radio show dedicated to bringing you coverage of the Green Lantern comics from cover date June 1990 until cover date November 2004, with a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner. Again, a couple of guys that we're going to be talking about today with one of my favorite co-hosts ever. He is the co-host of the show Better in the Dark with his best friend Derek Ferguson. He's also the purveyor of the website Damn Yours, Damn Your Eyes, where he takes 10 statements about movies, TV shows, and just things that interest him in general and uh, tells you about how he feels about them. He's also a going to be a well, he's not going to be. He's a prolific author, and he's coming out here in a while with uh, the Shadow Legion uh, Volume One. Uh, and we'll have to you'll have to let me know when that's coming out, Thomas, and how okay. what's going on with that. But, ladies and gentlemen, it is my semi regular co host and my very good friend here, Mister Thomas DJ. Okay, Sean. Okay, I've read issues three and four of US One. So, what? <laughs> oh, damn it! <laughs> Well, I'll have you on for that that show next time. <laughs> we'll cover that. We'll cover that next time. Honestly, you, you want to know a little secret? What? Not necessarily an April Fool's joke. Mm. We'll have to we'll have to find out more about that. But uh, we're not going to be covering US one number three and four this time. Probably, thankfully for some of you, we're actually going to be covering <laughs> Green Lantern number 60, which uh, finishes up the whole capital punishment storyline where we can see Kyle stab Major Force to the chest. Well, well, not really, but it'd be nice because, you know, revenge is fun. Major Force is a dick. And over in Guy Gardner, we get the essentially Guy's retirement in the fact that he's decided, like, most space cops do once they retire open up a bar in new york city and when you're guy freaking gardener you're the opening of your bar is attended by the elite it's the elite you count the blood pack as elite (laughs) well (laughs) there's some there's some hangers on every once in a while so yeah i mean you know the uh the triumvirate of uh schwarzenegger willis and stallone show up so that's interesting but i love i love that issue and will we get into because it's a snapshot of 1995 dc universe you're like oh boy yeah not everything was roses and puppies yeah unfortunately uh, we didn't get to see anima so that's kind of disappointing oh, i think she's in there somewhere oh sweet jeebus <laughs> but we will get to all of that and more as we will probably have a little discussion of uh, a group that kyle is supposed to be in as well 
right after this little break where I put in some promos for some excellent podcasts that all of you should be listening to. So, after the promos, we'll come back with Green Lantern number 60. And drink and drink and then we'll drink some more. We'll dance and sing and fight until the early morning light. Then we'll throw up, pass out, wake up, and then we'll drink in once again. Then we'll throw up, pass out, wake up, and then we'll drink in once again. Then we'll throw up, pass out, wake up, and then we'll drink in once Let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated, hardworking people. I'm Batman. Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of thought. This looks like a job for Superman. Let's hear it for Captain America! It's the Dying Man! It's the Rocketeer! Gentlemen, you're up. <laughs> Comics Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at Two True Freaks. I guess you weren't so tough after all, were you? Now it's time to send you to the next dimension. 291 original episodes. This can't be. It's still going up. 325 manga chapters. You act innocent, but you're deadly. Time to die! Dozens of characters, hundreds of enemies, and a whole lot of violence. Super Saiyans tend to be a bit violent. Oh crap! Join hosts Donovan and Jesse as they cover the arrival of the Saiyans, the journey to Namek, the battle with Frieza, the mystery of the androids, and the terror of Majin Buu. I lied when I said you could go. At least partially lied. For I will let you go to another dimension. The Next Dimension, a Dragon Ball Z podcast. Join the fight at dbznextdimension.lipson.com. See ya. And we are back. So let's go ahead and get into our coverage of the last part of the Capital Punishment storyline here in Green Lantern number 60. Green Lantern number 60 was cover dated March 1995 with a release date of January 24, 1995. The cover price was $1.50 US, $2.10 Canada, and $70p UK. The title was Capital Punishment Act 3. I guess there was really no subtitle to it. Let me check the book. No, it yep, was just was Act 3. Capital Punishment Act 3, so there you go. Writer was Ron Mars. Penciler was Daryl Banks. Inker was Romeo Tangal. Colorist Steve Matson, Letterer Albert Guzman. Assistant Editor Eddie Baganza. And Destroyer of Worlds, Kevin Dooley. Preparing to pound the purple placer of Pals and Pack Frigidaires. Sorry, there aren't any brand name refrigerators that start with B. Green Lantern Kyle Rayner is interrupted by Guy Gardner lets him know that their sneak attack is being broken up by Militia, the Quorum Enforcer, and Guy's brother. The duo duck behind a ring-construct pile of sandbags as the two decide what they should do about the situation. Being that this is a comic book 
action sequence, the answer you should have expected was to fight. Guy tackles Militia while Kyle mops up the quorum enforcers. Guy tries desperately to reason with his brother, but Mace isn't having any of it. Guy then blasts Militia through the ceiling, causing the water in the reflecting pool overhead to come cascading down. Guy tells Kyle that he's headed topside to finish the battle with his brother, as Kyle douses the quorum goons with a ring construct water game. Finishing off the last attacker, Kyle follows the warrior to the reflecting pool and witnesses Guy and Mace pounding on each other. Guy blasts Mace a little bit too hard, apparently killing him, but upon inspection it's found that Mace was actually a robot. Realizing that they've been had, Guy and Kyle begin the hunt again for Guy's actual brother. Meanwhile, Mace and the female quorum leader, quorum leader are in a hospital room, with Mace lying unconscious in the bed. The female says that she never wanted things to get this out of hand, as she had hoped that contacting Guy would be the way for her to stop Major Force. And right on cue, Major Force breaks into the room and tries to hold hostage the sleeping Mace. But Kyle and Guy are right behind him. The standoff begins with Force saying that he'll let Mace live if Kyle hands over the ring. Kyle says no dice, and the female quorum member smashes Major Force over the head with the heart monitor. Peeved by the sneak attack, Force destroys the device keeping Mace's heart beating, prompting Guy to charge at him but get knocked back for his troubles. Kyle is a little more fortunate and restrains Force in a ring construct set of shackles. Force taunts Kyle, saying that he'd gladly do what he did to Alex again, as Kyle prepares to impale Force with a ring construct shiv. But Kyle has grown, and he realizes that as a hero, he can't let himself kill. That's not who he is. But Guy isn't feeling that charitable, and after getting no opposition from Kyle, he plunges the Morph Blade into Force's chest. In the end, we see the bodies of both Major Force and Mace lying in the room, both dead. Elsewhere at the SOKH, the shadowy office killing hobos, Agent Smith and Agent Smith Jr. do their best to keep from connecting the SOKH to the core. But Agent Smith vows that they will return as they leave a burning pile of papers on the office desk, which I think would be a violation of some government policy, but whatever. The issue wraps up with Guy and Kyle meeting in front of the Lincoln Memorial to discuss their actions in dealing with Major Force. Kyle admits, though, what happened to Force was just, he couldn't just bring himself to kill. That's not who he is. Guy accepts his reasoning, but says he did what he thought he had to do, remarking that in the end, Kyle didn't do anything to stop it. Kyle relents as Guy walks away, saying that some of us were meant to be heroes, and others were meant to be warriors, which is nice because that's the title of his book. But wait, there's more. We're treated to four panels of someone walking through the Nevada desert. Don't know who that could be. And then four more panels of a green light flashing through the sky. But it's not Kyle, as on the last page we see, we see the dolled up in his styling sports jacket and snazzy green slacks, one of the last guardians in the universe, Gantt. <laughs> oh lord uh, for for the 
for the wrap-up of uh, you know what started out as kind of an enjoyable storyline over in Guy Gardner with the Capital Punishment thing, this was all right. Uh, I like the stuff that was developed in the Guy Gardner stuff because it kind of set up Bo Smith's idea of who Guy was going to be, especially in dealing with uh, other members of the DC Universe. Because right. over in that story, Guy was able to basically resolve things with uh, Superman, which had been sort of a contentious uh, relationship. Uh, especially in the JLI run. So I, I like that. Um, it basically you know, kills off Major Force, so we'll never see him ever again. He's dead. You can, you can put money on that because you know, once someone dies in the DC Universe, they die. There you go. But uh, Mr. DJ, hit us up yes. with some awesome notes. First thing, Ron, you know, Daryl Banks draws a tremendously good Guy Gardner. I think that he really does manage to make all the, the stupid 90s tattoo man uh, work. Oh, I agree. And he, even though he pulls out the guns a bit more mm-hmm. than you'll see in the Guy Gardner book, because I know Bo Smith wanted to get away from that unless yeah. it was absolutely needed. He Banks does a good job as well, so I'm, I'm not disappointed with his artwork here. And once again, I know... This, at the risk of this becoming the Ron Mars apologist cast. Mars really, I think, is... I mean, the Mars Guy Gardner is very, very consistent with the Bo Smith Guy Gardner. Mm-hmm. I mean, down to that... I mean, I love that, 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 that last scene where the two of them are having this discussion and Guy is like, well, hey, I respect. You got to do what you got to do. We'll be, we'll be in touch. We, we worked pretty well with me and the last guy who had the ring. Yeah. Well, and I like that it's also kind of going to be it's not it's not really the first meeting of Guy and Kyle because we saw that in zero hour. But um, it's kind of the setup of these guys having a relationship that will carry on uh, throughout uh, the history of these characters. Well, which which sadly, unfortunately, once um, once Bo Smith, once Bo Smith and Rob Mars leaves, it degenerates because Guy becomes once again. Gee, I wonder if I can get out of this, uh, out of John Stewart's hotel room, in t- not hotel room, hospital room, in time to catch the Knicks game. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yes, um, I like the. F- I mean, do we ever see the? Qu- I mean, the quorum is gone now, isn't it? Essentially, yeah. I don't think we see much of them. I think we see some of the offshoots of them in the Guy Gardner book because I know Joe comes back, right? But I don't know if technically he's. In fact, Joe does a. Team. I also think Joe does a a, a short uh, tour of duty in Birds of Prey for a while as well. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. But um, yeah, the the quorum was something that was set up. Uh, in the Guy Gardner book, I think under Chuck Dixon and uh, kind of like the, the alien race that was holding uh, guy hostage in the, uh, during the sins, uh, uh, yesterday's sins. Sins, Yeah. Yeah. Those, uh, that race and this uh, little government group just kind of stayed isolated in this book and really didn't expand out to the greater DC universe, which was kind of disappointing because I thought both could have had, you know, a sort of, unique take you know it could have been sort of a foil to amanda waller's uh sort of uh suicide squad. Yeah, yeah the suicide squad yeah it, it would have been it would have been neat to see it expanded on but i don't think 
you know, like like we see nowadays, DC is shying away from this iteration of Guy Gardner and the things that happened in this book. So disappointing, mm-hmm. but I like how um, Banks is showing and Mars and Banks together how they're showing a lot more of Kyle's personality in his constructs. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a great deal of humor in the way he uses the ring. Well, and uh, we've talked about this before, that yeah. Kyle's constructs are much more elaborate than the stuff that we'd see with uh, mm-hmm. with Hal and even with Guy. I mean, he will do the, you know, it, especially here on like page six where, or and prior to that, where it's not just the wall of green energy or shield. Right. It's actually sandbags. Sandbags, right. Makes little sandbags. So that's that's a neat little touch that differentiates him from the previous Green Lanterns, but it's also uh, very much showing what kind of artistic talent that Kyle right. has and how he's very imaginative. But like for example, the fact that where he's facing down the the quorum mercenaries, of all the weapons he chooses, he chooses a water cannon. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that it, it's showing that. He's trying to ha- – in a way, I'm wondering if Mars is approaching Kyle at this point has sort of the DC version of Spider-Man. Well, there's a lot of parallels. Uh, obviously, the yeah. whole uh, you know death of a loved one and having to take on the responsibility mm-hmm. thing. But uh, yeah, that he's having fun with it is definitely something you could probably compare the two characters with. Right. And then, of course, when he knocks out the final one, it's the he does the little little girl construct blowing her blowing him a kiss, mm-hmm. and that's nice. And uh, that's also very into it's also very inventive of Kyle right. using his surroundings, you know, to take advantage of that. You've got all the water pouring pouring mm-hmm. in from the reflecting pool, right. taking advantage of that to blast the guys in a in a non lethal way. So that's also very uh, creative as well. I mean, there's, there's a constant emphasis throughout this issue, contrasting Guy and uh, Kyle in terms of in, in both emotionally, intellectually, and even the way they fight. Mm-hmm. You know, Kyle is is doing these things non-violently. Yeah. Well, Not non-violently, you know what I mean? Non-lethally. Non-lethally, thank you, that's the word I was looking for. Non-lethally, whereas uh, Guy isn't afraid. Yeah, guys will. In fact, you know, guys kind of worried here yeah. uh, when he takes out Mace that he's that he's gone a bit too far, and because of that, you know, he thinks he's killed his brother. But of course, you know, he finds out. Oh, it's just a life life model decoy. Decoy, so, yeah. yeah. Agent Coulson. <laughs> oh, I so wish that. Uh, you know, complete tangent. We might as well. But yeah. I so I'm so glad that we're going to see Agent Coulson in the. Uh, the shield show i've right. heard that's what's supposed to be going on so it's it's either got to be yes it was a life model decoy in the avengers which i'm so happy to hear or that this is set you know prior to the whole avengers thing but regardless mm-hmm. any show that has more agent colson in it is going to be awesome for me yeah i've taken to in preparation for for three watching the 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 avengers phase one in sequence mm-hmm. so i i started with you know the original Iron Man, and even f- even from that first little bit in Iron Man One, you could tell that that Clark Gregg 
is something special. Oh yeah, he in this world. And I think you and uh, Michael have talked about the little shorts that they had, especially mm-hmm. the the short that they had on the Captain America uh, DVD or Blu-ray that was him going into the convenience store, right, and taking out those two thugs, which was just brilliant. And it's because Clark Gregg is such a uh, non-assuming character that you don't think that he could be the giant ass kicker like you'd see Hemsworth being or something. But uh, yes. But the only uh, regret is that he was not named Jasper Sitwell, who is basically who he's supposed to be. Yes. Now that now that you mentioned that, uh, I'm remembering that from uh, the old Nick Fury shield stories. And mm-hmm. yeah, he would have really worked as that character. So yeah. But anyway, so we got Grinny Robot Guy. Mm-hmm. Getting back to the thing. Boy, I love that's... tangents. Yes. And then unfortunately, of course, we've got Mace in a coma again. Is it? Is it essentially? Is it the gardener curse that they have to be in comas? At least one member of the family has to be in a coma at some certain point in time. This is just. They've just got the, they've just got the coma gene. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you gotta hate that kind of yeah. that kind of genetic structure in your family. That's all. Oh man, who's in a coma this week? Yeah. Um, and then we got Honey over here doing the, doing the doing her little uh, watch over watching over Mace. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was a character that I had forgotten about. You know, I I'd forgotten about her connection with Mace until we got to this issue. I you know I just essentially thought that she was a sort of one-off character, you know, who was the leader of this government agency. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I didn't know that in the end that she actually had a, a fondness for Mace or tried to have right. a connection with him. So it, it's nice to see that here, but it's just kind of unexpected because the lead up to it, she was just nothing more than, you know, sort of the, uh, headmistress of the, uh, the quorum. So right. is what it is. And then of course we've got the final Mexican standoff. Mm-hmm. With uh, Major Dick, I mean, of course. (laughs) (laughs) There's something to be said, by the way, about bad guys who are just pretty mean. Yes. Uh, It's nice to see that Major Force is a character that I don't think you can... I don't think you can validate what he's doing. What he's doing is just to be evil. Or just to be, you know... He's 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 a hired killer. He's not like Deathstroke, who's a hired killer. But you think there might be something in there that he's got some sort of moral, some, right. some moral, morals in him. This guy just enjoys killing for the sake of killing. And the fact that the whole idea of this is to end Major Force in the end right. is is kind of nice. And it also sets up the dyna- dynamic of the difference between Kyle and Guy. Mm-hmm. Because initially, I mean, just, because initially it's Kyle who's going to be the one who's going to off him. Right. I I find it fascinating that he was considered an aberration in 1995. Yeah, because of his the level of his perversity, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um. Whereas now he would just be any old supervillain. Yeah, he'd be he'd be Tuesday's supervillain. Yeah. 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 It's. Uh... I mean, I think I know we, we we keep coming back to this. I think that we really lost something with it when identity crisis hit. Mm-hmm. 
we lost a, a, a certain radiance in the DC universe, whereas now it's all gross and non-gross. Yeah, and that's that's really disappointing because it's nice to have those sort of bad guys who have not bad guys with the heart of gold, but bad guys who you know aren't just heinous and evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, you know, they've taken stances where they try and make bad guys good and the idea of Lex Luthor, which, you know, depending upon your opinion, could work or not. But the fact that now if you have a villain in the DC universe, they have to not just be someone who robs banks or has schemes of overthrowing the world. No, they like to mutilate people and sleep with corpses and you know, they're cannibals or they feed people to other people. It's just the the idea of just a villain who has villainous plans has to be so amped up that it, it makes the villains unlikable. I don't know. Yeah. It's one of the, okay. One of the reasons I used to love the flash is they had, the flash has one of the greatest rogues galleries of all time. Oh, agreed. And they were fun. They were fun guys. I mean, there was that. There's this wonderful William Esther Loeb's um, issue during his run where the Flash inadvertently gets an invitation to a Rogues Gallery um, event. I forget what the event was, and it ends with the with the bunch of them kind of like sitting on the on the side of the road, saying to each other, "You know what? With our powers, we could have ruled the world. Why did we mess with this?" And there's something about a, a bad guy that doesn't have any amb- uh, big air ambition other than I want money. Mm-hmm. You know, I want this. I there, There's something, oh, I don't know. It's just, like I said, the thing that made Major Force unique in 1995 DC, DCU was that he was this perverse. He mm-hmm. reveled in causing death and causing suffering. Yes. And because nowadays, that's, that's every villain. Every that's villain every has villain, to be yeah. taken to this level where they are causing so much misery and ripping people in half and putting their fists through people that it, it, it minimizes it, it minimizes villains as a whole. And if you are just a generic villain, like uh, like you say, members of the Flash's rogues gallery, who just want to rob a bank, right? Who just want to get the newest technology to uh, power their freeze ray. Mm-hmm. It, it it diminishes those characters and makes them, sadly, I guess, uninteresting for the for the villain norm, which is disappointing because those characters, those characters I talked about, actually have merit and actually can be right. let out to be good characters. But uh, I agree with you. The and we, you and I, have talked a lot about the darkening of not only the DC but the Marvel universe as well, and it's. It's something I wish they would get away with because – or get away from because right. it – comics Well, you can't have right. darkness without light, and that's the problem. There's no light anymore. Yes, exactly. And and that's one of the things that I, I like about uh, – especially about the Guy Gardner stuff yeah. and the, the, the Bo Smith stuff that it is so fun and light and enjoyable. It's such a contrast to what I see – being published by DC nowadays, but 
Oh, well, I mean, we're going to get into a very fun issue on the other side of, of the, the next break. Oh, so. yeah. But uh, do you have anything else about this? Because I kind of, uh, you know, I, wonder- I, I rather like the fact and it's, it's it's very subtle, you know, how they've got the sound effect of the of the heart monitor mm-hmm. throughout the scene. Oh, yeah. You no, know, um, they don't they don't overdo it. No, it is. But just that kind of, makes. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, it is just kind of in the background. You see it as little, okay. little uh, onomatopoeia just around Mace's uh, chest and around you know where he's there. So it's an, it's a nice subtle thing showing that this is keeping alive, but it's not in your face. That if and, and it is in the final panel where it uh, does the sort of flatline thing and then yeah. it has the asterisk to say that it went out. So. And I, I, I love, by the way, Major Forces, um, uh, you know, um, sound effect for this scrackle. Yes. What the heck is a scrackle? I think it's a Star Wars character, I believe. He, didn't he sit around with Jabba the Hutt? That was the scrackle. Maybe. There you go. <laughs> it's time for it is time for uh, for Guy to get all. Uh, by the way. Tying in, tying into to, to our US one coverage. Um, <laughs> how does how does a guy beat down Major Force? How does a Kyle beat down Major Force with a big old truck? Ah, uh, you Probably know, driven if... by a, a little green Ulysses Archer. <laughs> oh, I am going to have to. I'm going to have to get that photoshopped and have Ulysses Archer just sitting there smiling, giving the thumbs up in that. Chris Honeywell, I'm contacting you right after this show. <laughs> but uh, you know, to to think about this, um, and this was one of my notes that I mentioned. One of the big things that you've said that uh, about Kyle and his constructs was that he was never supposed to use the same construct twice. Right. And I remember in uh, I think it was either in a previous Green Lantern issue or maybe it was in the Titans crossover one that I did a while back, but he actually used a semi truck to smash into someone there so uh if that's the case this might be wrong maybe it's just a different semi truck maybe the other also keep in mind was it in the teen titans issue yeah i think it was the the titans issue. okay might have been well we'll get into that oh okay trust uh, me helping you out here oh yeah there you go well um you know for finales i like the wrap up with Kyle, you know, we mentioned this before, the wrap up with Kyle and Guy and them talking about how they're how they're different. And I agree with you. Mars and Banks, much like Smith and uh, Bird, get the character of Guy and they're, you know, they're giving him this sort of resolved, you know, hero character that this is what I do. Deal with it or not. And I'm not going to come down on you, but this is who I'm going to be. So I'm uh, Guy is growing as a character, and we've seen this over the course of his books, and especially in the Bo Smith run. So uh, it's enjoyable to see that Mars has, you know, not turned Guy into just the 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 idiot a hole of the book. So uh, that he's actually Correct. following on with Smith's uh, carrying on with the character. Yeah, that comes with the next writer. <laughs> yes, and, and don't get me wrong. I mean, as much as I dislike Judd. Wittick's other things that he mm-hmm. does. Um, he has a really disastrous run on, on the New Titans, for example. He, I hated his Green Arrow, mm-hmm. 
with with a passion that burns hotter than the sun. But I really did like his Green Lantern run. I really, really did. Well, and Even see, with, that's going to be interesting for me because, like I may have mentioned before, I dropped out just like right before when it came on. So mm-hmm. as I go on throughout this this series, when I get to that, I'm going to be reading those with a fresh take on it. So I will be experiencing Judd Winnick and his Green Lantern run for the first time. So it'll right. be interesting to see what I think about it. Well, it's, it's going to be an interesting period because also Winnick is one of a handful of writers who came up originally through fan fiction. Mm-hmm that DC hired during that period in their in their publishing history. Oh, God, are we going to get Fifty Shades of Kyle Rayner? No, we're not getting... Well, we did get Fifty Shades of Nightwing. Oh, oh no. Because Devin f***ing Grayson. <laughs> Devin Grayson, who got a job solely because she showed Mark Wade her kids. Well, and... Uh, that's not a horrible way to get a job, I guess. I, I guess not. I guess <laughs> not. That's right. I said it, people. But uh, speaking of Nightwing and uh, Teen Titans, uh, I was going to ask you. You know, we had had conversation about this before. Um, since uh, Kyle is over in the uh, all new Titans, and I wasn't collecting the Titans at the time, mm-hmm. I it was kind of off my radar. So I came to you because I know you're a huge Titans fan, and wanted to ask: Should I cover? the uh, all-new Titans with Green Lantern in this issue, and I just wanted to know what you thought about that. It's a very, very bad era in the series. Ooh. Um, to give us some perspective, Marvel Wolfman had been writing the book since the 80s. He had, I don't think he, he missed a single issue since the book had been relaunched, and I think it was 1980, you know, the, the first, the new Teen Titans, I think it was 1984. Yeah. He was burning out. He apparently had approached the the higher ups at DC about getting off the book and starting up another book. What he really wanted to do was the the creator owned book that he did called Night Force that he created back in the seventies. He was told he couldn't, and he was given a new editor to give you a perspective. No matter how good or bad his experience has been with other editors. Marvelman will call them by name. He refuses to name this editor. Wow. Uh, also, to give you a perspective, this was the time around 1985. This was the time when there was this perception in both the both of the major houses, Marvel and DC, that the editors should be the people who dictated the stories. And we see how that went. We see how that went. Yeah, and these are some. Sh- Shitty, shitty books. Um, first off, we had um, the edict that he that Wolfman could not use Nightwing because the Batman family, the Batman office wanted him exclusively. Mm-hmm. Then he was told, "Well, you have to use Arsenal and you have to use this character and that character." According to Wolfman, both the Green Lantern and the Supergirl editions in this year plus story, in these years plus of stories were editorial edicts. He was very unhappy. It shows in the books, which are very, very dark. They're very, very by the numbers. Uh, most of it is taken up by a storyline called The Seeds of Trigon, where um, Victoria's Secret model Raven goes running around infecting people with the Seeds of Trigon, uh, including um, uh, Beast 
although now she, he's still called Changeling at this time. Changeling yeah. um, and terrorizing the Titans for a while. It's characters run in and out of the book like water because the um, the editor decided, like, for example, um, we just introduced Rose Wilson. She's, she's a Titan now. So what? Rose Wilson, yeah, Rose Wilson was introduced in death in an issue of Deathstroke, and two months later, the editor came to Marvin and said, "Put her in the Titans." So she becomes Leanne, Leanne's uh, babysitter, and there's this hint that she has a secret superpower, and there's th- this hint that maybe she and Impulse have a thing going, and it just goes nowhere. There's like all these plot lines that are brought up that are never resolved, including the one you were asking about about Tara uh, earlier before we started recording. Yeah. Um, where they kind of hinted that, yeah, this is really Tara pit plucked from an earlier point in her timeline before she died. No, it's a clone of Tara. No, it's this, though it's that. And the time trapper shows up. Oh, jeebus. The time trapper shows up to, to taunt her with, I know what's really happening with you. Never resolved. Uh, oh, it's, it, the book is a total and absolute mess. He was forced to use Arsenal, who is a character he had no interest in writing. As the team leader, he was forced to use um, damage because they thought that was going to work. He was forced to. It was. It's. It's. It's a total cluster. So no, <sighs> you don't have to do this. Really, okay, well. the only the, the main benefit that Kyle gets out of being a member of the Titans is covered primarily in his book, which is the relationship he has with Donna Troy. Well, yeah, and that's the thing we're going to be getting into in the next couple issues. You know, we're going to see the relationship with uh, Kyle and Donna really blossoming. In fact, I think we saw it last issue where it was the Christmas issue where um, Donna and Kyle sort of had that little moment at the end with the mistletoe yeah. and everything. So it's, I'm liking the relationship that's going on with uh, Kyle and Donna, but if it's a great I mean, relationship that is blunted way too soon because John Byrne had a conniption fit and decided he wanted uh, he wanted Wonder Girl to be a Wonder Woman character again, and we know and, we know how convoluted all that is. Oh my God! Oh my Lord! Yes. Stuff that makes stuff that makes Hawkman, you know, history or chronology look, you know, relatively simple. Yeah, it's it's yeah, but the, to sum up, this this book is a real. Uh, at this point, the, the Titans book is a total mess, and you don't have to cover it. Well, good. Well, I, I appreciate you letting me know about that, and I'm certain my uh, my wife will be excited with that because that means uh, far fewer comic books that I have to have in my collection. So that's always. Yeah, I mean, it's a sad thing is it, it's the beginning of a very very dark period for the for the book because you have that, then you go into the Phil Jimenez, uh, Devin Grayson Titans JLA miniseries, then we get the New Titans reboot by Devin Grayson and Mark Buckingham. <laughs> I'm kidding. You're not a fan. <laughs> well, maybe the maybe the best left unsaid about this is what we should go for. <laughs> Oddly enough, though, speaking of uh, Phil Jimenez or Jimenez, uh, we're going to be covering him here in a couple of minutes as we're going to be heading into the opening of one of the most awesome bars in the DC universe. Well. Maybe one of the only bars in the DC Universe. As in Guy Gardner Warrior, we get the opening of Warriors. 
which is kind of redundant. You would kind of expect it to be that. Yes. But uh, after we take this little break, and again, Thomas, thank you for keeping me away from the all-new Titans. Friends, don't let friends read the last year and a half of the new Titans. We'll be right back after this break. Hey, kids, go! Bugger off, kid, I'm talking here. Hey, folks, it's your old pal Murray Clawhammer here. And boy, do I have some good news for you! The Hey Kids Comics Podcast is moving! As of January 1st, you can find your Hey Kids Comics Podcast on the Two True Freaks feed. That's at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Libsyn spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. I love this show. It's like drinking Earl Grey tea next to the Thames River and having scones instead of sitting in my mom's basement and drinking Dr. Pepper and, and eating Little Debbie snack cakes. Anywho, thanks to some sketchily acquired photographs, Two True Freaks and Demanza Corp anticipate a long and fruitful relationship with Hey Kids Comics. And remember, come New Year's 2013, you can find your Hey Kids Comics at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. L-I-B-S-Y-N! They're British! This offer is void in the event of Mayan prophecy being accurate. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us. I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And half mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the pawns in the hands of Dr. Doom. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next you bastards can't change the way I can. Got me dying to those powerful cosmic earth. I've been expecting you. For I am a thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatots, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak. Blind or hold. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. I shall sustain him to the drain of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witness the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. FFcast.libsyn.com And we're back. So let's get to the opening of the most awesome bar in the DC universe over in Guy Gardner Warrior number 29. Now, I've got the uh, deluxe edition. Uh, uh, There was also a newsstand edition, which came in for a lower price and had a different cover, but we'll cover this as well. 
Uh, Guy Garden Warrior number 29 was cover dated March 1995 with a release date of February 7th, 1995. The deluxe edition had a cover price of $2.95 US, $4.25, wow, Canada, and £2 in the UK. It was the regular price of like $1.50, $2.10, or $70p for the regular edition. The title was It's My Party and I'll Fight If I Want To. So sing along, everyone. The writer was Bo Smith. The penciler was Phil Jimenez. The inkers were John Stokes and Dan Davis. The colorist was Gene D'Angelo. Letterer was Albert Guzman. And the editor was Eddie Braganza. And the Warriors Bar was designed by Brad Gorby. It just isn't a party until you're being observed by the overlord of Apocalypse, Darkseid. Taking time out from observing the new Green Lantern, he and Desaad witness a massive gathering of heroes at a site bearing the symbol of the dreaded Boldarians. The new god tells Desaad to monitor the gathering and inform him of any happenings that would relate to his personal agenda. Desaad humbly obeys as Darkseid heads back to his room, upset that he didn't get an invitation. Darkseid likes to watch. <laughs> I've seen that so much in the books recently. Darkseid just sitting there creepily <laughs> viewing everyone. It's like, you can see him first as Darkseid. It's just like one of these guys that has like the 15 TV sets because he's just has eight OCD. <laughs> and and all the time he's monitoring people. It's like, I'm so lonely. <laughs> I'm so lonely. So oh, okay. Back the to the song. synopsis. Get me my copy of Cat Fancy. <laughs> uh, I wet myself. Uh, back to the synopsis. Meanwhile, a sharp-dressed guy gardener is heading out to meet the throngs of people who lined up to get into the most exclusive joint in all of Manhattan. Guy gives a quick interview to WGBS's Kent Grant about the opening of the superhero version of the Hard Rock Cafe, accepts a FedEx gift of one of Superboy's famous leather jackets, Swanky, then heads back in to play host to nearly the, the entirety of the DC Universe at the time. We're then treated to a series of vignettes dealing with the goings-on of the patrons of the bar, including Jay Garrick and Alan Scott grabbing a few drinks, a Jersey Shore party crasher addressed as Superman, the general hotness of Lady Blackhawk, a moment of awkwardness between Guy and Aquaman, the ladies getting a feel of Tiger Man's fur, a Donna Troy and Artemis almost cat bite, and because it's the 90s, an appearance by Lobo. Of course, the last Zarian's arrival can only mean a barbroom bout of Fighty McFightenstein. Copyright Andrew Leyland, 2011, All Rights Reserved, breaks out with Lobo and Guy at the center of the throwdown. Guy eventually tosses the main man out, but Lobo gets knocked down. But he gets up again. He ain't never gonna keep it down. <laughs> and ele- well, unless you allow. You'll drink, drink a side of drink. You'll drink a vodka drink. <laughs> but unless you allow, of course, unless you allow me to drink every last drop of beer on the premises. Yes. Crisis averted, Buck and crew survey the damage as Verona and Aresia head upstairs to check on Guy. But as they enter his room, they witness Guy in excruciating pain as he tells them to get out! Oh wait, that's Amulet. Oh, and the subplots with the Tormox and Dementor continue on in the issue as well. The end.
that is a very you know i i my synopsis really didn't cover all that much because essentially it's all just a bunch of vignettes dealing it's with it's a snapshot everyone. it is literally a snapshot of D- the dc universe circa 1995 mm-hmm. and you've got pretty much everyone there and a uh, credit to jimenez obviously this book was uh had to be well in the making for a while because the artwork in this is just so detailed. Well, and there's a reason why Phil Jimenez is not has never really had a regular artist run on anything. He will do miniseries, he will do uh, like covers, but I don't think he's ever done any noteworthy monthly thing because his work is so detailed. He's definitely of the George Perez school of put every single line in every single face and you can see that like on the on the page two and three splash with just the characters waiting to get in there i mean you can tell who the characters are waiting to get in the door Mm -hmm. and uh, even the people in the crowd over there they're they're distinct they have they almost all of them have uh, they're not just blobs of people they're identifiable so this is just beautiful artwork and all the characters look really on model and even dark side on the beginning page just the craggly look of his face it's amazing and uh, this odd is like one evil looking mother effort Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) i mean uh, oh no go ahead go ahead no go i was gonna say going ahead with uh your notes i'm following you um wasn't uh, Verona – didn't Verona originally just have a bowl haircut? I don't recall. You know, I'd have to look back at the issue, but I thought she was the leader of the Naba tribesmen, and it was some of the other women that had the bowl haircut. Okay. But I, I do remember one of the, the women in the uh, – uh, like either 22 or 23 of Guy Gardner where one of the Naba women – did have guys' haircut, which I thought was. I think you may have commented on that. Uh, yeah. When we did the Kyle Rayner's first issue, so. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's not a lot. To, I mean, just you look at some of the back. Like for example, you got like on this page that I'm looking at with with Verona coming in with the Superboy jacket, mm-hmm. and you've got the very briefly lived version of Phantom Lady. Oh, yeah. In the background, the one that was introduced in Action Comics Weekly and kind of bopped around in the background of various DC comics for a couple of years before disappearing off the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. Um, What I find interesting is, uh, you know, you have uh, Blue Devil and Loose Cannon. Yes. I was for for a while I was wondering who that is. And Loose Cannon, unfortunately, is one of those characters that swung out of the uh, bloodline storyline isn't it's a very blood pack pack rific issue because we get a lot of blood pack characters <laughs> of blood uh bloodlines characters yeah remember the, the time when dc used to think that bloodlines was a good idea yeah yeah no one else does either what was what is up with led's um flash dance look hold on let me get i'm looking page seven at the upper left hand thing where there there's oh got good the, lord yeah. Yeah, you know, you know the the with the wife beater shirt. What the <laughs> heck? Why does a metal man need an undershirt? Right, I have no idea. That's that's bizarre. But yeah, this this book is just a series of vignettes of just these characters, and they all are just really wonderful. Um, the one thing that 
I mean, I'm God, not... El Diablo. Wait, where are the, you seeing the, that? The Gerard Jones version of El Diablo. Once again, only show only was around in the DC universe for about three or four years. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps my favorite of the um, characters who were around in the nineties for a brief time and never again. The Jared Stevens fate. Oh yes, and I'm a. I was a. I actually was one of the the, the maybe five people who enjoyed the man called Fate. Mm-hmm. And here he is at the corner of that double page spread with the very 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 creepy looking Dementor. We'll get to that. Uh, it's right here. He's like he's over in a thing while. Uh, Arisa, Kyle. I love, by the way, I love that scene with Kyle and Arisa. Mm -hmm. I love that scene where where they're, he's like, I understand you used to, you were one of the Green Lanterns, I'm the last one. And the, 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 when she says, yeah, he wasn't the guy I went out with Mm -hmm. when you killed him. I love that scene. Well, again, it's Kyle harking back to the idea that he realizes that there's a legacy that he's having to take on, and he's trying to make amends with uh, anyone he comes across. And it's an it is a nice little moment between them, and we'll see more of. Uh, oddly enough, we might see more of uh, Reesey dealing with Hal uh, in in future issues. So yeah, um, I love how some of the, the characters are kind of. Uh grouped together like you have in that same panel with the uh, Jared Stevens fate you have the Connor Hawk there another character who mm-hmm. has kind of disappeared the Connor Hawk green arrow with black canary yes now had Connor Hawk been introduced at this time yeah. okay he, he was he's been bopping around has uh, green arrow for about a year and a half okay and uh, Holly had died at this point in time yes so okay and I love the, the, the joke about Tiger Man's fur being so smooth. Well, and the it, it also plays into the character of him being kind of a kind of a player. Hey, do you yeah. wanna touch my fur? It's really smooth. <laughs> touch me right here. Oh god, and then we get the blood pack. <laughs> Poor Jade. Oh yes. Well I guess you've got to start somewhere. Oh my God! I mean, I'm sitting. These are characters who were never seen again. Let's see. We've got Nightblade. I can't believe I remember these guys' names. You've got uh, Ballistic, Nightblade, Geist, and I have no idea who this moron is on all the way in the back. Oh Lord! But after after the the Blood Pack miniseries, never seen again. Well, never and I think. I think rightfully so. Yes. Um, one thing that I want to talk about, and this again is Bo Smith making Guy Gardner, you know, the sort of uh, growing Guy Gardner's character, where Guy actually meets up with Arthur Curry, and you mm-hmm. think there's going to be uh, trouble. Yeah. Uh, but the way Guy approaches it is is pretty. Yeah, I'm trying to find it. In the- it's right here on page uh, 10. Page 10. Yeah. You know, that there there's that sort of antagonistic showdown where Arthur's lost his hand to the piranha and he's got the hook hand right. now. And he's mentioning that no one's mentioning it. And he knows that he's approaching Guy and he has to talk to him. And he, he's got this idea that Guy's going to be a real jerk about it. And how does Guy break the ice? 
He's like, hey, What's Curry. What's up with your long hair? What's up with your long hair? Is everyone doing that nowadays? And it's great because in the next panel, as they part ways, you see Arthur smiling. And the <laughs> fact that these two have have basically you know, put – put apart their past and are now actually able to relate to each other right. and guy is no longer a jerk he's, he's balanced he's at mm-hmm. peace with himself yes. which i think is a major part of the bo smith run mm-hmm. um and it makes sense to me it makes total sense that the peter david iteration of aquaman would get along with this iteration of guy gardner yeah well and essentially they were both they were both warriors. They were both people who had to do the mm-hmm. difficult things to to get them done. So it's awesome that Bo Smith is sort of reconciling the the major cast of the DC universe with uh, Guy Gardner because he did it uh, a couple issues back in the Capital Punishment story with Superman and Guy, with them right. having a really good uh, sort of heart to heart and coming that they were both. Uh, the last of their race and then we get here another element with uh with arthur and guy uh you know realizing that they're not as different as they were so it's it it's great to see the character of guy growing like this but yeah mm-hmm. oh i'm that was a good scene for me and, and on the bottom of page saying go away new titans go away <laughs> go uh, that oh god I, that iteration of of Arsenal is so stupid looking. Well, it was the '90s. I, I commented on the on a previous show how his costume was just so '90s with the sunglasses and the the cable look with all the yeah. pouches and the shoulder pads, and, and rather than having the bow and arrow, having the little pistol oh, crossbow. Yeah, uh. and then we've got the. Um, little side trip into Arkham into sorry it's Blackgate prison yeah, Blackgate. right now yeah right once again this is 1995 this is so, very much 1995 um and it's funny that it's who it's the scarecrow who feels the dementor putting his fingers into everybody's pie mm-hmm. once again Jared Stevens fate right behind mm-hmm. I like that on that page 11 also that we and I think this might be one of the the few is times that? that we that we is see John Wolfman? Constantine here with uh oh Zatanna. yeah with his with his back to him yeah yeah I mean because that that's a leather jacket and I, I think uh, Constantine had a uh, uh, kind of a relationship. He had a day pass yeah okay yeah I mean it was established that when he was a teenager and he w- he basically <laughs> Satana silly for a couple of years. <laughs> Well, uh, up and down, to? sideways, hanging from the ceiling, so much so that it got his father really, her father really, really mad at him. <laughs> Surprisingly, I, I can completely imagine that. Um, but I think, okay, take a look. Okay, since we're on that page right now, yeah, take a look at that one little inset with like the Jared Stevens fate and Nightwing, Night, Night, Nightwing, sorry, Flamebird and Plastic Man. Mm-hmm. Is that Marv Wolfman that Phil Jimenez drew in there? In the back, uh, over yeah, to the left, shoulder. Uh, yeah, over Shade's shoulder. That might be. I can't tell. It looks, it, it's it's on, it's so on model that it, it doesn't look like just a random person. It looks like no. someone, so. It might be. There are a number of times in this book where I was looking at some of the background people and wondering if they were supposed to be specific people that were specific to Jimenez. Well, and since this is just basically a collection of, like you said, the. Uh, 
the DC universe from 1995, the fact that they put in these little Easter eggs of, uh, you know, characters or creators of mm-hmm. certain books is, it wouldn't be unexpected. Right. Then we've got, uh, moving forward, that little weird vignette of, uh, Juno master and a, one of the few characters I do not recognize. Yeah. Uh, oh, I guess, I guess it's Thunderbolt. As he's talking to well, that's, the panel. Oh, that might be it. Yeah, that might be it. I, um, because, uh, you know, he talks, you know, Judo Master, and he says, geez, I've had my fill of limbo, Thunderbolt. I mean, you know what yeah. I mean. So, yeah, but, the, yeah, these characters are, they are totally obscure. And, and you talk about, we've talked about characters who appeared and disappeared after a couple of years. The reboot uh, of Judo Master never got off the ground it was in i think i think he's featured in one issue of justice league uh unlimited justice league quarterly i mean and then it's gone for good wow well and the the fact that bo smith is able to get all these characters and kind of you know differentiate their personalities and get their actual personalities in here is a testament to him i think bo smith had had to have the time of his life doing Mm -hmm. this because when Will you ever get the chance to write everyone in the DC universe? And not often. And Buck Wargo tried to get Superman to cheat. <laughs> As Buck would. I mean, and that's <laughs> I so wish we I, I, I so wish we had more of Buck in this issue because yeah. I I really would have loved to see the iteration of Guy and Buck and the rest of the team and Joey and Rita just going out and having adventures. But uh, We'll have to see what happens in the uh, yeah. in the later stuff, and then for some reason, what Brainiac Five pops in? Yeah, De- and he GF. just shows up. It just that's it. Yeah, there, he doesn't say anything or anything. Uh, well, he says the triple question mark, <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. about it. No um, reason for him being there other than say, "Hey, Legion still exists." <laughs> the fifteenth version of Hawkman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'm going to eventually here in a couple of uh, issues, yeah. episodes, issue shows, uh, talk to uh, Luke Giaconetti because we're going to be covering the uh, way of the Warrior storyline, which I know that you'll be looking forward to. Oh God! Uh, and he's going to be coming on to to tell me what the heck's going on with Hawkman. So we'll get into it there. Yeah. Of course. Oh. Uh, go ahead. Then, then on page 16, uh, you know, Smith realizes, well, I have to actually have a plot. Mm-hmm. I'll just have him fight. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're Bo Smith, yeah, that's pretty much what you do in your books. And the, he, to his credit, he is good at it. You know, yeah. fight scenes are his thing. But uh, it makes sense that uh, Guy would uh, punch the living crap out of uh, Captain Adam because I guess Adam and the JLA kind of uh, let Guy down with the whole death of ice thing right oh my god sparks i'm sorry just noticing all these people sparks in another bloodlines character oh yes and i'm gonna now on page 17 who's that behind supergirl and i have no idea oh geez Uh, you know it's nice to see that um with hawkman he's got uh uh, Nuclon and Obsidian with him, which right. makes sense because wasn't Nuclon his uh, son or something? Uh, no, no. Uh, Nuclon was the he was the son of a JSA villain. Oh, okay. Um, he was the Adams' godson. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. See, uh, it's been so long since I've read right. issues of, oh, God, not The Outsiders, but... Uh, Infinity Incorporated. Incorporated, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I uh, just to plug so Scott Gardner will listen to this podcast. I hope they get back to the tales. Right. They so they can do that. But then but if that's a dark, dark, dark period of the JLA. Mm-hmm. Gerard Jones was one of the few things that Gerard Jones. I was like, what were you thinking? Dude? Yeah. Anyway, I'm, uh, I... next page, we've got uh, Donna Troy and Artemis, you know, mm-hmm. almost getting into a cat fight, which I would say. Unfortunately, we did not get to see. The downtown Julie Brown version of Dinah Prince. <laughs> oh God, I know I'm going to. I I read ahead for the for the notes that I have to take for the way of the warrior thing, and I saw the version of Diana Prince in the Justice League, and oh sweet Jesus! <sighs> now, one of the things that kind of fascinates me about this book as a whole is that we've talked about this as a snapshot of 1995 DCU. So this is the snapshot of the DCU right after, with the aftermath of all the people who decided, well, we had Death of Superman and we had Batman's back broken. Now we, our guys got to have something crazy happen to them. Mm-hmm. So we have um, Artemis as Wonder Woman. Oh, my God. Um, we have... Uh, Aquaman with his hand bit off. Yes. We have all these, all this weird, we have like Native American Hawkman. Mm-hmm. And, and see, that's that's sad because essentially the the Batman and the Superman stories developed organically and they yeah. actually led to that. And since they were so big, it made the rest of the DC universe have to sort of jump on and try and, you know, sort of catch that fire and we saw it to a less you know we saw it sort of well done in the green lantern issue right you know hit or miss yes it took gerard jones's story and tossed it out the window but it gave us kyle rayner which just like has has ham-fisted and stupid has the green arrow reboot mm-hmm. was we got about three years of really great chuck dixon work on Connor Hawk. Yes. Um, and it's just a, a shame that the, the backlash when it came in the, in the, in the aughts pretty much erased all these great characters. Yeah. You know, so long Kyle, been nice seeing you Wally. Yeah. Oh, uh, Connor, don't worry. We'll get to you eventually. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing that irks me so much is the fact that at this time, even though a lot of this stuff was sort of, you know, we've got to change things up. The changes for a while got really good. And Connor and Wally and Kyle, you know, these legacy characters really endured themselves or inured themselves to readers like myself. And the fact that, you know, once the regime changed with the Dio. The Dio. Bullethead. Yes. How, how you doing? <laughs> And he had to say, well, we've got to bring back the originals because they're the ones that everyone loves. Just no, minimize he, these he, characters. He loved. That was the problem. Oh, it, yes. Well, it was true. what he loved. Uh, and, of course, the thing of that, that infuriated me about the Dio is, of course, remember he went through that whole period where he said, the thing that makes DC different from Marvel is that we're the home of the legacy character. Uh-huh. And he so, then proceeded to remove every single legacy character that was ever created. Yep. Yeah. 
well, either remove them or basically diminish them to the background. So, yeah. I mean, Kyle's still around, but no, it's Hal Jordan. Hal Jordan is Green Lantern. Hal Jordan is the most awesome person around. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, Kyle is one of the is the one legacy character who hasn't been diminished all that much. I think, and I think we can thank Paul uh, Pete Tomasi for that. Yes, because by bringing him into the 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 Green Lantern Corps and teaming him up with Guy and creating this wonderful little buddy cop scenario, mm-hmm. um, he was able to. I think that Tomasi is one of those guys, one of those characters who he got both characters really, really well. Uh, I I can't can't agree with you more because uh, he's that was some of the stuff that I really enjoyed reading during the Blackest Night run, and that's when I just you know sort of came in just to see what was going on, and those were the books that I actually enjoyed the most out of that run. But uh, yeah, it's disappointing that the legacy characters that we see here now are pretty much tossed by the wayside. Now, I don't think we've even gotten hints of Wally West in the new 52 yet. Yeah, so, I don't think he even exists at this point. Uh, Same thing with Donna Troy. Damn to Dio. pisses me off because I'm sorry. I mean, I, you know, I don't care, you know, Cassie Sandmark and all, but that's Donna Troy is my wonder girl. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, Unfortunately, it's the it's the road they're taking right now. Right, even when she even when she's the freaking dark star. Yeah, <laughs> which was such an excellent book. Mm. No, uh, of course. Then on page nineteen, it, it's a, it's the '90s. So right. who has to show up? Well, it's an opening of a bar. <laughs> exactly. So the biggest... uh, this is one case where I have to say it's justified. It's the opening of a bar. Mm-hmm. But him carrying uh, Captain Adam and how how the heck did he get his arms around Aresian? I have around? no idea. Uh, but it's there. And then of course you're at a bar. What happens? What ha- has to happen? A brawl. <laughs> and I love on page twenty Superman in the in the middle of the all stop the it, stop. stop. And you'll notice how Jimenez creates. It, 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 this is basically a classic nine palette panel grid. Yeah. With only the middle panel, the, the Superman panel, being distorted from the, the uniformity. Mm-hmm. Which further emphasizes the fact that he's trying to keep the two sides apart. Yes. And not and, doing a good job of it. Well, and again, a credit to Superman. It's like Superman doesn't want all this stuff. Superman is, uh, Superman is the most noble character in the DC Universe. And he doesn't want to see all this stuff you know, happen. He doesn't want to see people fighting for random reasons. But... That's that's great, and, and then of course, uh, moving on to page twenty-one, I love the fact that Detective Chimp showed up as well. Yes. Detective Chimp, Stanley and his monster, mm-hmm. um, uh, Rex the Wonder Dog, Rex the Wonder Dog, yeah, that's that's just so awesome. And then of course, you know, oh, who the heck is Black Canary fighting? Uh, the blood pack? I have once again. It, it probably is because, I mean, let's see. Because you got Razor Sharp over here mm-hmm. to the right. Is that uh, one of those? Because uh, I've seen ads for. Is that one of the the Cybats? Yes, the the, the, the uh, Cyber. Yes, that was one of the handful of blood uh, bloodlines characters that they actually tried to do something with. Uh-huh. You know, because uh, Argus was a supporting character for the Flash for a while, mm-hmm. 
Um, Loose Cannon had his own miniseries. Razor Sharp had her own miniseries. Argus also had his own miniseries. Uh, Gunfire had his own ongoing series, for God's sakes. <laughs> that ended with the the promise that he was going to join the Justice League. And I'm like, please, no. <laughs> the um, Justice League must be hurting for membership. If you're yeah, I love the fact that Juno Master is just standing there with his face in his hands going, no, my God. <laughs> uh Oh my lord! It's just it is it, it's there's so much to look at here, and it's all just so yeah. artfully done. And then of course, page twenty two, you get the obvious cameo of the big three action stars, who at the time were yeah. were all into making their own little uh, Planet Hollywood Planet Hollywood thing. Yeah, the 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 Hard Rock Cafe with with Hollywood memorabilia. It's it's uh, Bruce Willis before he started losing his hair and decided to shave it all off. Mm. Well, I think he realized, look, I'm not fooling anyone with this, yeah. so I might as well just go full bald. But the yeah. the model, you know, you can tell that the the characters on model, and Jimenez does a good job of capturing them, except for uh, Schwarzenegger's kind of dirt face. Yeah. Although you'll notice, and this is something else I miss so much from modern, you know, um, now that we have modern comics, is yeah, they're they're drawn, they're not photo referenced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you can tell who they are. Yeah. You can tell that that's Willis, Schwarzenegger, and Stallone there. But yeah, it's not exactly photo reference. It's not like they took a photo and then basically traced over it. Uh, this is an actual drawing of them, and it's a very good one. So, yeah. uh, again, credit to Jimenez. And then we get the teaser of the last issue, the, mm-hmm. the last page. Which, yeah. I like the fact that they, they just cut to the end. Yeah. It's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> There Lobo, was a lot of fighting done that day. Lobo drank everything, and all was good. Yes. Yeah, and then they then we get the setup for the next issue, which uh, is going to be set up for Action, action Seven Hundred Nine. Yeah. Uh, where uh, I guess Guy's going to you know see if his buddy Superman can help him figure out what the heck's going on, and yeah, we'll, we'll see what all that what all goes on with that. Yeah. But uh. Yeah, this is this is just a dense issue with just some amazing. Uh, uh, one more thing I want to comment about that I just yes. noticed this on on the last page on twenty three. Yeah, Buck Wargo in that center panel, <laughs> shirtless. Here's for what no the reason thing is whatsoever. Interesting. Is that is that there's got to be a story about how he lost his shirt, unless it was at the poker game, mm-hmm. which means that I guess like Platinum is dancing around in a. <laughs> <laughs> they shirt like far too big for her. <laughs> I love the fact that it's like you have these little these little things, and it's like they never explain how it happened, you know. But that's fine. That makes yeah. the fun of the book. The fact that Buck Wargo is just walking around shirtless and hairless, uh, shirtless and hairy and manly is just it makes oh, no I also sense love, whatsoever. I also I, I don't the, the in the background where. Uh, Wargo is talking to Rita. Mm-hmm. In the background, you've got some guy who says, no, I don't want to feel your fur. <laughs> just, just Tiger Man wants to get robbed, basically. It's... Yeah. And I was like, Led asking about a job as a bouncer. Oh, dear Lord. It's Not in that shirt, dude. Not in that shirt. <laughs> it is just... 
this issue is just so much fun. It, it, you know, the synopsis that I gave was short because visually this issue is a joy to look at. Yeah. The artwork is amazing. The characters are all on model. The characters' voices, Bo Smith gets them right. It's just a wonderful issue to find. If you can find either this, either the deluxe edition or the regular one, which I, I, I neglected to mention, the cover for the the deluxe edition is a gatefold cover, which you know was one of you the. Open up the door. It's like the doors to the thing. You open up the doors, and mm-hmm. there's like a, this big, beautiful Phil Jimenez uh, poster, so to speak, of the entire DC universe mm-hmm. meeting their their uh, feet to Guy's door. And what do you get at the top of the? I don't know if you've got the image, but at the top of the page, it's a dinosaur. Uh, Nazi, Nazi dinosaur. dinosaur. Yes. Nazi dinosaur. But the uh, if you get the uh, standard edition, one of the neat things about that was it was kind of an homage to um, this uh, painting. I think it's by Edward Hopper called Nighthawks, which is and it's done vertically. It's done on a side, but right. if you turn it on its side, it's this image of this diner, and inside I think are Lobo and Guy fighting, and Superman's having some coffee in there. But if you've seen the image of this sort of New York City diner circa, you want to say the 1940s. It's kind of an homage to that. But uh, yeah, if you can find this book anywhere, go search it out. It's probably in the 50 cent or dollar bins. And and we joke about it a lot, but it is definitely uh, a a little snapshot of what the DC Universe was like at that exactly at that time. Because I don't think there's a single character that Smith doesn't at least give a cameo somewhere in the background. Mm-hmm. And that's, and the fact that Smith does it and does it so well is just a testament to him as a writer and a, a testament to Jimenez for able to draw all of them and make them look on model and make them look really, really beautiful. If you, if you haven't picked up an issue of warrior, go pick this one up because this is just amazing fun. But, uh, um, yeah. Well, since we're um, at the end of the page, I want to I want to point out this um, the, the letter page. Mm-hmm. There's a letter um, from a guy named Harrison Simon, which he gives the list of the top ten characters he wants to see uh, Warrior beat the crap out of. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in alphabetical order, including Azrael, Batman, Catwoman, any Dork Star. Real Docs, Happy Hal, which I assume is, you know, yeah. Parallax, Lobo, with the parentheses, Bastage Stole Your Letter Column idea, Kyle Rayner, Superboy, and Superman. Uh, you know, um, for some of them, I can understand. Yeah. But, uh, and I, I, I guarantee you this, Thomas. I'm going to find, you know, hell or high water. I'm going to get to Bo Smith and I'm going to see if I can get him to come on the show because I would love to talk to him because I I read that article you sent me about Bo Smith and his idea for a guy dealing with Batman. Yeah. And it's not a punching match. And I would love to talk to him about that. But yeah, all these characters that he mentions, why? This is just, this is mindless violence. And, as we've said with Guy, he's over that now. Right. He's, he's I love his. Again. I love the response that he that 
whoever wrote the letter column had Guy respond to it for the Catwoman ones. Like, yeah, that kind of tussle ain't for a code book. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Catwoman went, oh, yeah. yeah. That kind of that kind of fighting, yeah, you can't really show in a, in a book. By the, <laughs> by the way, this, this is Mr. Simon also asks if Warrior will join Extreme Justice. <laughs> uh, uh, <sighs> <no>. <sighs> we... Oh, I hope we... Uh, no, no. no. <laughs> you know, I'm just looking forward to uh, him crossing over with the JLA, and by looking forward, I mean really not at all, but... Oh. Uh, but, but you get to see, you get to see downtown Julie Prince. <laughs> well, it's like, okay, that, that, that outfit she wore during that period looked like she just went down to the local Hot Topic and got the slut wear. <laughs> I, it I does. Love, it is so bad. It, it hurts. is so bad. It hurts. Oh, God. Well, Thomas, let me tell you, thank you so much for coming to the show. It is always Dude, Sean, a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to, to hang out with you. You know that, man. I love talking Guy Gardner with you, and I'm glad <laughs> that we were able to do it for this book. And Yeah, Jeremy, I mean, it, it, considering that it, it turns out it actually was a pretty – I had wanted to come on and talk partially about capital punishment. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was coming up so quickly. Uh, but we got to talk about that, and we got to talk about the 90, 1995 DC Universe – Bloodlines, bloodlines, bloodlines. Uh, oh one of the things God. best not remembered. I mean, only one. I mean, I, to think about that, they were so high on all these characters, and only one of them survived past a year. Mm-hmm. And that was the, that was only because you know what uh, was it Warren Ellis or Garth Ennis? Uh, Garth Ennis. Garth Ennis. You know, took Hitman and turned him into an interesting character. So. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, we probably won't be seeing Nightblade Reborn anytime <laughs> Nightblade soon. Reborn. I'm on the phone to Nightingale now. <laughs> well, I got God. it. I got it. Nightblade Reborn. They already did vibe, so don't oh, put any ideas in his head. But, Thomas, thank you again for coming on. Go ahead and why don't you plug some places where people can find you on the internet? Um. Okay, well, we're still doing better in the dark uh, on a uh, more or less every two week schedule. It's very irregular lately, as I'm you know putting the finishing touches on my second book. Um, most recently, we re- we um, released the episode about the Frankenstein series, the Universal oh, Frankenstein yes. series, which got very very dark very quickly, <laughs> and it features the line Frankenstein likes to fuck. <laughs> Um, we've got the obscure movies episode coming up, hopefully about the same time as this episode gets released. Um, also, uh, over at tricycleoffense.com, in addition to finding better in the dark, we're going to have, um, we still have moves like Curtis, the podcast where I get to talk about football and we maybe have something pretty cool coming up soon. Another podcast that's going to be very irregular where I talk to various authors Ooh. Um, about superhero prose fiction. I'm going to be recording the pilot episode of that with Richard Lee Byers, who does an excellent series of books called The Imposter. Neat. Uh, this week. So that should, I don't know the, when that, that will be out. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's basically the tie that's tied into the Nocturne Travel Agency, where you can check in to learn about the Shadow Legion, the first novel of which 
New Roads to Hell should be coming out this fall. So lots of lots of places to find me. And of course, frequently on Just One of the Guys and Who True Freaks, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you're not listening, if you want to know about Doctor Who, we're, we're getting together with uh, the guys at Two True Freaks. They've given me a little side of their uh, web space presence, and they're letting me get together some uh, Doctor Who fans and talk about some of the greatest episodes of Doctor Who out there. Uh, you just want to get me and Shag in the same room so we'll fight. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. But Why don't you just, just rent a room, give us some boxing gloves, and have us go at it? I would not be opposed to that in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> it's time that to start w- a Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> Kickstarter, Shag, DJ, flight. Oh, there we go. <laughs> There we go. The sad thing is people would pay for that. <laughs> yeah, that is sad, isn't it? It is very sad. But you know, as opposed as opposed to get my Kickstarters, I want to see Catherine McPhee just dress up as, as Donna Troy now, apparently. Uh, I would pay for that Kickstarter. <laughs> I think a lot of people would pay for that Kickstarter. But thanks again, Thomas, for coming on. You're Everyone, welcome, have, have a great weekend, and make sure you come back next time for another episode of Just One of the Guys. We'll see you next Friday. Good night. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at justoneoftheguys, all one word, dot libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys podcast and be sure to leave a review there. I'd love to read it on the next episode. You can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me there because I don't have an account there. But if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. Man, this is a morbid way to start off the show. <laughs> well, okay, well, my, day, my, my, my night was nowhere near. I was, I was off carousing. And awesome. It's. I'm sorry, it's. Well, that, you, that be, you know, you should be. I mean, it's funny because Derek is always telling me you should be grateful you're single, and I'm honestly like saying to you, married guys, you should be grateful you're married because it's a freaking jungle out there. I know. Well, I don't. Frick- I don't know. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Walking in your footsteps. Walking in your footsteps. I don't know why I put that in. Okay, before we continue, let me give you a little insight into how my crack brain works. Okay.
Okay, I go over to the phone, and it says that it's uh, my old friend Guy Gemento. Okay. Guy's an openly gay man. That, for some reason, made me think of musical theater. <laughs> musical theater made me think of Smash. And I said, oh, Smash is going is, – is, you know, this shows you how, how much faith they have in Smash. Mm-hmm. Now, oh, I heard about you talking about it. Saturday night. Yeah. I said, oh, Smash is on tonight. And that made me think, of course, about McPhee. And then I said, wait, you know, McPhee would make a really good Donna Troy. Ooh. <laughs> I'm not that. just saying that because I want to see her in the red, and, the old red and yellow outfit. Yeah. 